Coming up on Stu Does America, what do you think of when you think about The Daily Wire? Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, how about riveting psychological thrillers? Yes, The Daily Wire is in the film business now, and they've released their excellent first film, Run, Hide, Fight. We'll talk with Jeremy Boring uh, from The Daily Wire to tell us how it all came together. And AOC has once again bravely attacked a fellow politician over Twitter. And this time it's Texas Senator Ted Cruz, which is a really good idea. Uh, I'm sure you're going to come out on top on that one. We'll discuss that coming up. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Just a reminder that you can catch all of our episodes completely free on YouTube, Facebook, podcasts, and more. Just head to stewdoesamerica.com for all the links and help us uh, take a stand against conservative censorship with a Blaze TV account. Just head to blazetv.com slash stew and enter the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, you'll save 30 bucks for a limited time. You know what sounds like a terrible, terrible idea? Snapping your fingers and being able to undo the work of the entire previous administration. Unfortunately, that's kind of the reality we live in. So let's do Biden's executive orders. Stu does America. One thing that I do every time we have a new president is to promise to judge them on their performance in office, not by their past. I did that with Donald Trump and Barack Obama and every president that I can remember. Sure, Joe Biden might think all Indian Americans run 7-Elevens. And does he think that the idea of a black man being articulate is a fairy tale? Yes, he does. But I'm not going to hold that against him anymore. If you think about it, no president has ever entered office with a lower bar to clear than Joe Biden. Democrats literally hated Donald Trump with every fiber of their being. He was Hitler, Satan, and Jeffrey Dahmer all rolled into one. So pretty much anything you do is going to be impressive to the left. If you're Biden, you're never going to get that hardcore Trump cheerleader. But some of those Trump voters were Democrats that might have hated Hillary, but never really hated Democratic policies. By virtue of not being Hillary, a lot of those people are going to come home to Joe Biden. And then there's also a chunk of independents and Republicans who held their nose for Trump, maybe not liking the chaos of the Trump era for a bunch of different reasons. And of course, there's the media who will be there to fawn over everything he does, as we covered at length yesterday. Basically, this thing is set up for Joe Biden to succeed. He has the wind behind him, and he is perhaps the only man on earth who could screw this up. So instead of looking to find some highly popular policies that he could pass through the legislature, uh, you know, that his party has total control of, by the way, he decided to grab his pen and sign a ton of executive orders on day one and two. Twenty-seven of them, I, I think. I'm starting to lose track at this point, but I guess I'm pretty impressed. I mean, I think if you, look at, you know, looked at like Joe Biden's Apple Watch, he probably hasn't cleared 27 steps in a day since he announced his run for president. And he's signing 27 executive orders? Wow. Who would have thought? Pretty impressive, Joe. Some of the executive orders were of the boring variety. He named a new head of the COVID-19 response super mega task force, and he mandated masks and social distancing on federal property and by all federal employees, along with mask mandates while traveling. He launched a 100-day masking challenge, which is like the last 300 days of masking challenge, except it's for the next 100 days. Then he promptly went out and broke the mandate. 
<laughs> of course. We should note, though, that President Biden is a little you know, above the law. You should think of him as a little bit above the law, like he doesn't have to follow it because he is one of our betters. If you don't understand, check out this instructional video from Reason.com. Yo, man. Yo, open up, man. Yo, what you want, man? My constituents just caught me. You let them catch you? I don't know how I let this happen. Wait, where? The place next door, you know? Wait, I thought you ordered all the restaurants to close. Man, I don't know what to do. Just say it wasn't you. All right. Voter came and then they caught me red-handed eating at the place next door. Were there a lot of people there? Picture this, it was not that vacant. Like a hundred peeps or more. How could I forget that I had Vandal Lindo gatherings? Just a prime example of a really big hypocrisy. Understand we're not like other creatures. Rules do not apply to us, we are the leaders. Voters can't be trusted to be indoor eaters. They are more contagious after all, they're mouth breathers. Just tell them it's important to follow all the law. How any violation might kill a grandma. Why you do what you want, even pardon in laws. Mr. Mayor, how would you prefer your foie gras? Donated. Sir, we saw you at a party. It wasn't me. Eating at the French laundry. It wasn't me. You even had the clam chowder. It wasn't me. Sir, we got you on camera. It wasn't me. You said we can't be super spreading. It wasn't me. So I missed my brother's wedding. It wasn't me. You jailed a barber for hairdressing. I have a wedding. This is getting upsetting. Photo came and they call me red-handed. I mean, at the place next I think this would work. Mr. Biden, why aren't you wearing a mask? It wasn't me. He should try it with a media like this. I think it might actually work. It worked for Shaggy. And that's how I get all my advice uh, about life. Biden also re-entered the World Health Organization based on their amazing efforts to stop the spread of coronavirus. And he signed executive orders relating to the supply chain, state and local support, a COVID response office, data collection, new treatments, testing and reopening schools and businesses. Some of those might be good if they do them right, which, of course, they will not, obviously. And I know you've been waiting for it, but it is finally here. We do now have a COVID-19 health equity task force. Yeah! This helps us sort through the dying pandemic patients by skin color and ethnicity so we can make sure the appropriate number of each of each group die in the process. We don't want too many white people to survive. After all, I think we can all agree on that one. He also talked about vaccinating 100 million people in 100 days. I'm not a mathematician. But scientists say that that comes out to one million per day, which is basically what we're already doing. When he was called out on that fact by the Associated Press, by the way, this is how he responded. Far higher than basically where the U.S. is right now. When I announced that you all said it's not possible. Come on, give me a break, man. Come on, give me a break, man. Get ready for the phrase, come on, give me a break, man, to become pretty magical. It chases all questions away. It's like the new abracadabra or Beetlejuice. The phrase is just about to develop incredible supernatural powers with our media. Come on, man. Biden also continued his calls for unity 
by diving into the divisive issue of immigration. I don't mean divisive between Democrats and Republicans. I mean divisive between Joe Biden and Joe Biden. As part of the Obama administration, Biden and Obama believed that something like DACA was unconstitutional. If you remember, basically, Obama asked Congress to pass something to protect illegal immigrants brought here as children and teenagers. And Congress said, uh, no. He himself said that he couldn't do it by himself. He needed Congress. Then he put DACA into effect by himself anyway. Trump tried to reverse it, but now it's back on, baby. Yeah. Biden won't be deporting anyone for a while either. And he's also undoing Trump's changes on the census. He's stopping the building of the wall. And he is ending the so-called Muslim ban, which wasn't really a Muslim ban, but Trump did call it a Muslim ban, so it's sort of hard to push back on that one. Biden also re-entered the Paris Climate Accord, which is a symbolic agreement that will do absolutely nothing to affect the climate, even if it was fully adopted, which it will not be. He's going to stop the Keystone XL pipeline and stop drilling in Anwar, which is great because I don't want all of that surrounding barren ice to be disturbed either. Biden revoked the 1776 commission because he isn't a fan of telling people what our history actually is and also overturned Trump's opposition to the teaching of critical race theory to federal employees. So if you loved learning about your white privilege at work, even if you're a black Republican, you're in luck. Biden is also continuing the pause on evictions and the pause on repaying student loans, which is great unless you're one of those morons who have been making your rent and student loan payments. You idiots. <laughs> I laugh at you. There's more, but those are kind of the highlights of the two, first two freaking days, just two freaking days of a Joe Biden presidency. And here lies the bigger message. If your legacy is wrapped up in a bunch of executive orders, you don't have a legacy. To that point, buried deep inside of the tax bill, the only major legislative accomplishment of the past four years was a little clause about Anwar. It basically forces a lease of part of Anwar for drilling over the next few years. And here's the thing. Joe Biden can't do anything about that on his own. They'll need a new law to overturn it, which will be much more difficult than Biden using his pen and his phone. These little moral victories in the culture war punctuated by an executive order are almost always worthless in the end. Our system of government is not designed to be constantly digesting them. And that won't stop Joe Biden, of course. Mr. Unadulterated Unity will be here to sign executive order after executive order until the nation runs out of paper and or ink. I hate to root for carpal tunnel syndrome, but that may be our only hope. You know, with all the uncertainty in the world, it's nice to have a home that you really love. A home that you can get home to with your family. You can hang out for a weekend while all the cities around you burn to the ground. And you can think to yourself, gosh, I'm glad I'm inside. That's home ownership for you these days. Uh, I will say these days it can be a little bit challenging. You want to buy or sell a home. You need a real estate agent that you can trust someone who is in to do the job the right way from the beginning. If you've ever had a real estate agent who sucked, I think there's, a, there's probably a website out there, realestateagentswhosuck.com. Don't go to that website. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com. If you've had a bad real estate agent, if you've had a bad experience trying to buy or sell a home, you know how important this is. You have to have someone who's on your side who not only knows all the details of what the best price to set is and all the paperwork and getting all that stuff right, but also has a good sense of the market, has a good sense of what uh, price you can go with, has a, has a person you can go to 
in a, in a moment of uh, a tough decision and give you an opinion that you can trust, that you can go with. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com right now. Get uh, more information there. Find a real estate agent in your area that can help you. realestateagentsitrust.com. So when people think of the Daily Wire, they think of one of the most popular conservative content networks in the country. Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, Matt Walsh. They probably didn't know uh, about their foray into kick-ass, high-tension thrillers. Who knew? And yet the Daily Wire has gone into the film industry. It's called Run, Hide, Fight is their first foray. A film about a girl struggling to survive amidst a live stream school shooting. Here to talk about the film and how the Daily Wire got involved. Co-founder and CEO of the Daily Wire, Jeremy Boring. Jeremy, thanks for coming on the program, man. Dude, thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, the movie's great. Uh, you know, it's funny, like, you wouldn't say, like, hey, The Daily Wire is going to be the one putting this out. But there's a real important reason The Daily Wire is the one putting this out. Well, that's right. I think the first part of what you said is actually, I think, the most interesting part of the story. When people see the film, they don't probably immediately think, oh, that makes sense. Ben Shapiro is the guy who's going to bring this movie <laughs> to us. Or Matt Walsh is the guy who's going to bring this movie to us. Uh, you know, it's not... Um, it, it doesn't star Kirk Cameron. Uh, <laughs> there are no ragtag bunch of high school football players who get a coach who really loves Jesus, but really gets it, you know, like it's not, it's not your typical kind of conservative film. And by the way, God bless those films and God bless Kirk Cameron, but this is something else entirely. You know, it's a mainstream film. It's edgy. It's gritty. It's, it's uh, TVMA. It's not for kids. We don't want you to sit down and watch this with your kids. This is uh, entertainment that's aimed at young adults, which is who consumes uh, the, that's the most important demographic when it comes to consumption of media and when it comes to creating culture, creating culture for the country. And so for us, we saw it as a bit of a risk to do a piece of content like this. And yet it, I think it's the most important battlefield that conservatives are the least represented in, which is making uh, culture, not just commenting on culture, and in particular making culture for the people who actually determine culture more broadly in the country and that's young adults. Yeah, I mean, I will say not only should you not watch this uh, movie with your kids, but you probably won't send your kids to high school after watching it. Uh, <laughs> it is. <laughs> that's fair. It's intense, man, and it's it's really well done. I mean, I think it's the, the Kirk Cameron point that you made, and again, love Kirk Cameron, uh, but like, absolutely, there is that like, there's that stigma around conservatives when they get in the world of culture where, you know, you just churn out things and they kind of have that same like you, you, you picture a Lee Greenwood song is going to come on at some point during the movie. An <laughs> eagle is going to fly by in slow motion. Um, yeah. there, there is that sort of the stigma around it. This is not that movie. I mean, this is just a real movie that's that's just great and entertaining to watch. Yeah, well, Kyle Rankin, the director uh, and writer of the, of the film, I think he did a fantastic job of taking a, a very intense piece of subject matter, which is uh, a school shooting in a high school and inverting kind of the media's narrative and saying, you know, we, we spend so much effort making the perpetrators of these atrocities famous. And that actually feeds exactly what what they're after. And instead he says, why don't we celebrate the 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 acts of him that actually happened in these terrible moments? And of course, he does it in a fictionalized way, does it in a, in a way that's primarily entertainment, but makes a very important point, I think, about uh, where we choose to point our camera when these when these tragedies happen, the, the heroine in the film, Zoe Hull, played by an immensely talented actress, Isabel May. Uh, she has a line in the film. It's one of the great lines, I, I think, in the picture. You know, isn't it a shame? She says to the villain that after all your work, no one will remember you. And he says, no. She says, no, they're, they're going to remember me. I'm mm. I'm the one doing something great. And what a tragedy it is. And it is in our culture. that We actually don't know the names of all of the heroes, uh, all of the people who engage in acts of bravery, acts of courage in these terrible uh, events that sometimes plague us as a society because we spend so much time giving attention to the people who craved it the most, uh, which are the 
are the perpetrators of the violence. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the secret of the movie there in the way you guys have done this. It's like, it's not a conservative movie. It's not like a movie where you'd say, I know what they were trying to say. Guns are good. Like, there's nothing in there that feels that way. But it's really consistent with what you've done at The Daily Wire. I know that we do at The Blaze, that we go out of our way to make sure we do not name these mass shooters. We do not make Mm -hmm. them famous. It's consistent with that value. It's good entertainment consistent with with an important value. And that's a a formula you just don't see that often. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I said to Glenn last week, he, he really was a pioneer in almost everything that we try to do at The Daily Wire. You know, he he created one of the very first SVOD platforms on the Internet. You know, I think back then it was just him and Major League Baseball. Are you mm-hmm. guys in Major League Baseball? Yeah. Uh, you know, he he moved out of the big city and into a red state, just like we just did at The Daily Wire. You know, he he even purchased a film studio down there in, in uh, Dallas. And so, you know, I really do think that he was kind of a visionary in all of these regards. But um and and we're and we're pleased to be kind of bringing up uh, the rear on some of these ideas. But I I think what the film does in particular is it creates content that people want to watch as opposed to content that people feel that they must watch. I mean, mm. we're, we're not looking for missional minded people, yes, but we're not asking people, hey, would you watch this? I think it'd be good for the country if you watch this. Uh, we're saying no. Here here's something that you'll want to see. Here's something. The first time I met Glenn, I I handed him a copy of a film that I made. He was very kind, and he helped me market the film. Uh, but before he'd even seen it, he took the DVD from me, and he said, Jeremy, if we're going to make entertainment, it has to be good. <laughs> and I thought, geez, Glenn, maybe don't watch that. You know, but, It's interesting, though, because that's, it, that's that, what we went for. That is your background. I mean, people, people don't know that. I mean, you know, you obviously mm-hmm. run the, the Daily Wire, but like your background is in film. You, were, you worked in, in Hollywood. Um, and so you're kind of uniquely positioned yeah. to try to make this move. Into, into actual entertainment. Yeah, I do feel like there's an opportunity that's presenting itself right now and that in some ways I feel um, maybe uniquely positioned uh, to take a stab at it. Certainly not uniquely talented, not uniquely capable, but <laughs> uniquely positioned maybe. Uh, you know, my, as you say, I, I have written and produced a few films over the years, uh, shopped a bunch of content around Hollywood for a decade, uh, and then ran an organization called Friends of Abe, which is a collection of 2,500, 2,800 uh, professionals working in Hollywood who share our kind of core set of values. And so I do feel like the last two decades of my career have kind of helped put me in a place where maybe I could help shepherd some of these product, uh, some of these productions through and present them to our audience. Because listen, our audience has the same right as anybody else in the country to put in a hard day's work, come home, kick off their shoes and, and be entertained. And I think fundamentally, the left doesn't want us to have uh, that luxury anymore. They want to box us out of the culture. They want to box us out of the economy. You know, they want us to have free speech as long as nobody can hear us. And I think that you know, if if we if all we do is complain about that, if all we do is lament the loss of culture, um, then we've already lost the country. We have to actually get involved in, in creating culture and shaping culture if we want to win in the long run. I know conservatives have talked about this uh, for a very long time. It's cool that you guys are doing something mm-hmm. about it. Of course, you're getting the uh, predictable uh, media reaction uh, to all of this, right? You got the uh, <laughs> the reviews yeah. where all of the, the Rotten Tomatoes reviews are not so great from the reviewers, but in, in, excellent from the actual people who are watching the movie. Uh, we're seeing even 30, like, 30% to 95% at the, at the last time I looked. <laughs> 30% to 90, that's amazing. I 92. Mean, yeah, 92. So an amazing split. Um, you're also seeing even like reviews, people who watched the movie before they knew you were associated with it and actually changing <laughs> the review from the 
same publication later on. I mean, it's got to be bizarre to it's watch. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. The Daily Beast loved the movie and then we got involved and now they hate the movie. It's, it's you know, that's great. My, I read the greatest review of all time. I really wish that I had looked before I came on so I could remember the name of the website. Uh, but they just eviscerate us. You know, the horrible movie brought to you by despicable people. One guy's even named Boring, literally, which is, you know, <laughs> that's why he didn't actually make it in Hollywood because he's still making the same kind of jokes that sixth graders made. But, <laughs> right. Uh, but I finished the review and I'm like, yeah, but did you like the film? I, I, I don't, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's a good time. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 got to be interesting to go into. Um, uh, so... We talked about the movie, and I, like I think there's a um, there's this sort of overarching part of culture that we need to get into. Conservatives mm-hmm. in general need to be aggressive in this in this realm and realize that like I think a lot of times like we kind of sit back, and I'm very guilty of this by the way. We kind of sit back and we look at our spreadsheets, and I'm I'm the, America's biggest fan of graphs. Like we do yeah. that stuff really well. We can talk budget stuff all day long and be right on those points. But we don't. And this is something Glenn has been really good at over the years. And you guys are doing it, too. We don't um, engage people emotionally. We don't engage people uh, at their heart and at their entertainment levels. We just don't go there that often. And I think that's uh, uh, is that is that one of the reasons why you're getting into this and going further with it? Yeah, not to uh, I, I want to provide some balance and say that maybe feelings don't care about your facts, you know, <laughs> that that while it is, it should be true that that what we feel doesn't change what we believe, but it isn't true. Mm. You know, we're 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 fallen man. We're 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 emotional creatures. Uh, and quite often the, the relationship between uh, what we think and what we feel is perhaps uh, more connected than we want to let on as conservatives because it should because maybe it shouldn't be one way but it is you know you don't you don't do very well fighting against reality that's one of the great pieces of advice that Ben actually gave me uh, in my business career over a decade ago when we first met he said you know your your problem uh, Jeremy isn't that you don't work really hard it's that you don't you know you're always working against reality he said it in a little bit more crude of a way but I'll, <laughs> I'll spare the audience <laughs> but. But that's right. And, you know, so I do think that a place where conservatives have failed is is we want people to be other than they are. And we so we don't appeal to them on the level uh, where most people actually do make their decisions, which is you know what they feel, mm. what they experience. I, I like I like fighting uh, the quote unquote culture war more this way, the way you're doing it, I think is a, is a more uh, productive way of doing it. Yeah. Um, Not me, making culture, but yelling at the people who do make culture yes. is no way to win the culture. Yes, I think that's totally true. And I feel like we spent particularly the last few years uh, on the other side of that. Right. We've been there's been these big mm-hmm. issues where, you know, I, I get this from people all the time because um, I'm a big sports fan and I'm basically completely against boycotts. I boycott boycotts. Um, and, you know, so I, a lot of my friends stopped watching the NFL this year. They stopped, you know, watching uh, all these sports. And you realize that, like, capitalism is sort of designed to bridge these gaps. Like, for you to do mm-hmm. business with people that you completely disagree with. People you might, th- you, yeah. know, you go into a restaurant, you don't know. The chef may very well be a communist, but they're still making your food and it's still good. And, and capitalism bridges that gap. Um, but there is that, like, thing I think we've done over the past few years, which is just jump into culture war issue after culture war issue after culture war issue. Now that the, Trump is gone, he's out of the White House, we're going kind of looking forward to something new. There's going to be some sort of civil war here on the conservative side to see what comes out of this. Where do you see yep. all this going? Like you, I, I find boycotts to be sort of fundamentally aberrant. Um, at the same time, you know, I don't care to watch sports right now because 
they won't let go of the politics. And it's mm. the same way with, with film and television. I, I don't want to boycott them uh, necessarily. I may think that we should boycott them as a matter of tactics. And, you know, I, almost, I don't know, six, seven years ago, I, I talked to the USA Today and I came up with this usage of the term mutually assured destruction. And I was referring to us using some of the tools of the left, which is to say, I find things like boycotts and other speech suppressing techniques to be really distasteful, but not quite as distasteful as letting one half uh, of of the people in the country use them carte blanche against sure. another half. And, mm -hmm. you know, nuclear weapons are terrible, but it's worse to get nuked. So, yeah. you know, but if you if you put that one caveat, which is just a, a question of tactics aside, I, I find the whole thing aberrant. At the same time, I don't want to watch content where they have to go out of their way continually to let me know that they hate me. And that's what Hollywood does. That's I think that's what sports fell into uh, particularly over the last 10 months. You know, if if it was just that LeBron James has his politics, even if he goes out, uh, you know, in his day uh, in his day to day life and says bad things, I don't want to have to think about those when I watch a Lakers game. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to walk out on the court, if you're going to kneel for the anthem, if you're going to wear, you know, the names of rapists on the back of your jersey or something, if you're going to continually spit in my eye, while I'm trying to just in, enjoy your product, while I'm trying to give you my money, eventually I'm gonna tire of that. And you know, in, in film, we call it the sucker punch, right? You can sit down and watch any TV show you like in the evenings. It may even have conservative themes, quite often they do. It may have fairly conservative characters, quite often they do, because the best themes and the best plots and the best characters are always inherently conservative. But somewhere in there, somewhere around the 15 minute mark, the writer feels guilty for using conservative characters and for discussing conservative themes. And so they add some line of dialogue that doesn't fit, where they essentially just say, ah, but we hate Reagan, or ah, we hate you conservatives, or ah, Christians are all fundamentalists and rapists. It may not even have anything to do with the plot, but they do it to assuage their own guilt, I think, for taking our money. And from our point of view, it's like, I, I don't want to be sucker punched. You know, I, I'd kind of just like to watch a show, engage in a transaction, be a part of the culture. Uh, so yeah, you know, the I'm with you, boycotts I think are terrible, which is why in the end, the answer is actually to create things for ourselves. You ask where it's going. Unfortunately, I think it's going toward balkanization. I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that there's a future for the country. I think it's the, it'll be one of the great losses in human history uh, if the country doesn't um, find a way past this and find a way to persevere uh, as a union. But I'm deeply concerned that we live in an era of balkanization, of extreme polarization. And I'm concerned that we're creating a dual economy where, whereby the mainstream economy just becomes more and more off limits to people who have wrong think, which, which is unfortunately you know, 75 to 100 million of us. Uh, I think what we're trying to do with this effort is say, you know, that's not good. It's not good for the country. But the one thing that would be worse is if we let them drive us out of the mainstream without creating something of our own. And so, you know, hopefully this is one step toward that, creating. Uh, at least entertainment content uh, in the same way that we in The Blaze have created uh, news media and commentary content uh, for the people who are being disenfranchised in the so-called mainstream. Yeah, you said something interesting there in that uh, all conservative uh, content, or all good storylines are fundamentally conservative. W what do you mean yeah. by that? That's, I, I don't think I've ever heard that observation. <laughs> well, you know, if you, if you take any major blockbuster film, right, even ones where they have all the sucker punches and they, you know, they try to tell you, you know, that the bad guys or the big corporations or whatever. Undergirding all of that is sort of fundamental objective reality. You have to have good and evil 
you have to have hero and villain. You have to have, uh, you know, a lot of the things that the left actually day to day rejects. You know, they want us to, to sort of exist in a in a world of relativism, except except when they say it's not relativistic anymore. Uh, <laughs> they want us to say that what is isn't. Uh, they want us uh, they want us to lie and to believe their lies. But you can't do that with a good story. People won't tune in for that. And so I think undergirding almost every you know, maybe some art film on the side that's very even fundamentally uh, left wing. But quite often, even even if you take something like Avatar, you know, James Cameron stuffs Avatar full of all kinds of left wing jabs, you know, lines yeah, mm-hmm. and environmental this. And envi- Undergirding the whole thing, though, is a reality that's basically only conceived of in a fairly conservative Judeo-Christian worldview, you know, uh, uh, the things that used to be our common culture. I think that that just ends up being necessarily true in art, um, which is why I call it sucker punches when they put in this left wing tribe. You don't have to make a film that's overtly conservative. If you tell the truth, it's fairly conservative. I think that that's what they're railing against. Mm, that's really interesting. The movie's great. It's called Run, Hide, Fight. Oh, thank you. It's a it's a it's a it's a dramatic movie. It's really freaking intense. Uh, and again, my kids are not going to high school. They'll probably be excited about that at some point in their lives. Um, Jeremy, how do people yeah. watch it? Do they need to be Daily Wire subscribers. How do they do this? Yeah, be a subscriber over at dailywire.com and uh, you'll be able to watch the film. You know, we did release it for free for the first uh, 12 hours that it was in release. We released it wide so that it could gain a large audience. But um, as with The Blaze, where I encourage people on all of our shows all the time to subscribe to The Blaze, if you want this kind of content to exist out there, you know, then we're asking you to actually vote with your dollars and and participate in the same way that you do with content from people who hate you. You know, we, <laughs> we fund Netflix we fund Hulu. Listen, I do too. They make a lot of stuff that I love, uh, but they don't love me. And so we're going to have to build this parallel system. That's what you guys are doing. That's what we're doing with this movie. And you have more stuff on this uh, sort of uh, path coming out too, right? We do. It's a long tail on entertainment uh, as opposed to our podcasts or, or other shows that we do or that you guys do. So, you know, unfortunately, we're, we're, it's a little bit harder to scale up. But we have two television series in development right now. We hope to have at least one of them to our audience in 2021. And two more films under development, too. So there'll be a lot more coming. Very cool. Jeremy Boring, uh, co-founder, CEO of The Daily Wire. Thanks so much for coming on the program. And be sure to seek out Run, Hide, Fight wherever uh, you can. Uh, I know it's at dailywire.com right now. Make sure to check it out there. Uh, Jeremy, thanks for coming on the program, man. Stu, I appreciate it. All right. Back in a second. So one of the executive orders we talked about earlier on the program is the uh, re-entry into the Paris Climate Accord. Again, the Paris Climate Accord is silly. It does nothing. It is a positioning statement. It is a uh, national virtue signal. It, even if fully implemented, makes no difference to the climate and will cost a ton of money to do nothing. And so we've gone over the details of that before. Maybe it's worth doing another one, another uh, recap of how bad the Paris Climate Accord is and how silly it is. Maybe we'll do that, uh, I don't know, later, later this week or early next week, just so people are refreshed on it. Because it's such a bad, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where people like insert it for do you care about the earth or not? Do you care about the earth or not? Yes, you're for the Paris Climate Accord. If you don't, then you're against it. And that's how people kind of summarize it. Is it a positive environmental move? Well, that's not how, that's not a cost-benefit analysis. That's a benefit analysis. 
Now, the benefit here is incredibly small, in fact, immeasurable, certainly within the margin of error of what the temperature is. Uh, But regardless, uh, it's going to cost a fortune. So there's a cost and benefit, and that's how you're supposed to look at these things. Now, Ted Cruz, of course, is not a guy who's going to be for the uh, climate accord. He was happy when they got out of it. Um, And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is, of course, blindly, stupidly for it. That's just what she does. Blind and stupid. She does things. She's she's stupid. That's just, I mean, that's a, I could really just end the monologue right there, but let's go into the actual controversy. Ted Cruz tweeted this, by rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement, President Biden indicates he's more interested in the views of the citizens of Paris than in the jobs of the citizens of Pittsburgh. This agreement will do little to affect the climate and will harm the livelihoods of Americans. So why is that a controversial statement? You know where Ted Cruz stands on the uh, Paris Climate Accord, and you could tell what he's doing there, right? He's he's doing the little politician-y thing where you, I mean, he's even using the alliteration, Paris and Pittsburgh. Uh, you care more about Paris than you do about Pittsburgh. It's just a little, I don't know, catchy politician way of saying, hey, it's not important to like Biden's caring more about this sort of global citizen nonsense than he does about the actual jobs of people in his in his actual you know, uh, country. And that's a bad priority. Does anyone actually think what he's saying is, I think the Paris Climate Accord is about the city of Paris? Everyone knows that's just where it happened, right? Like that was where the, the a lot of the meetings happened about it, and it was kind of the central point. Is what it's called, right? It does. It's not. It's not because we're talking about restricting emissions in Paris. No, only an idiot would think that that's what what Ted Cruz was talking about there. Cruz, if anything, is a guy who reads too many documents. Frankly, uh, he's too deep into some of these things at times. Uh, and uh, you know, of course, if you think any idiot. Would, would know what he's talking about. Well, then you know that I'm about to feature an AOC tweet where she didn't know what he was talking about. She writes, nice tweet, Senator Cruz. Quick question. Do you also believe the Geneva Convention was about the views of the citizens of Geneva? Asking everyone who believes U.S. senators should be competent and not undermine uh, for uh, our elections to incite insurrections against the United States. Now, of course, he's going to go back to the recent uh, stuff on the voting uh, situation which, you know, frankly, you know, wasn't crazy about Cruz's uh, stuff uh, with that particular situation. But come on. We all know he wasn't talking about the views of the. He's just saying generally he cares more about his global image than he cares about the jobs in his area. That's all he was saying. He doesn't actually think that we're talking about the views of only the people in the city of Paris. It's a global agreement and one that would do a lot of damage to people here in the United States. Only if you have some idiotic um, simpleton view where you think, well, uh, if we have the Paris Accord, then it's going to improve people's lives in the United States because the climate will change by point zero zero three degrees in 80 years or whatever the total is. We can give you the exact one of what they believe it will make the difference. But it's about that. It's, it's very it's impossible to measure how little difference this would actually make. So you just see this situation yet again where AOC kind of makes an idiot of herself when she thinks she's winning. And if there's a more adorable thing in politics, I don't know what it is. I, I freaking love it. AOC, she's so she's always living in that intersection of certainty and idiocy. Like she's really sure of herself in this really like earnest way. And it's like kind of kind of adorable. And then on the other side, she doesn't know what she's talking about. So it's kind of embarrassing. But. 
I mean, that's kind of the, the role of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the United States government to embarrass our country. And she does it frequently and well. I will say that. Uh, she also, by the way, did not show up to the uh, Biden inauguration. People are trying to make a big deal about that um, because, hey, you know, she's sending some sort of signal. No, she's not sending any sort of signal. She is uh, she was there. She was at a Teamsters union strike in the Bronx. It's her little way of playing up to her voters and is acting like she doesn't care about the national spotlight, which we know she does. I mean, again, you don't need to tweet nine million times a day to, to uh, you know, if you care about your local community. That's not. Yeah, you really don't need to do it. People say, well, well, Donald Trump tweeted nine million times a day. Yeah, he did. <laughs> I didn't like that either, frankly. And I don't really like Cruz doing it all that much either. I mean, I don't, I don't you know, if you look at Twitter and we get so wrapped up in Twitter and how many people are being kicked off of it and all that. It's something like only 20% of the country actually has a Twitter account. And only about 20% of those people are actually on it routinely. So now you're at 4% of the country. And of those people, only about 20% of those people actually use it for politics. So, I mean, this is a very tiny percentage of people who live in this little, uh, you know, bubble that dictates what every piece of news on earth needs to be. I think less Twitter, fantastic I love it. I hope Joe Biden doesn't get a Twitter account. He probably has one, and he'll probably say a lot of dumb things, too. The good thing about him, he's so old he can't figure out how to post anything. And that might be the best thing about Joe Biden's presidency. Back in a second. Speaking of Twitter, uh, Joe Biden's account now follows 11 different Twitter accounts, things like the White House, his, his chief of staff, you know, a bunch of aides. And then one account that is not part of that description, Chrissy Teigen, the model. Uh, she responded to this, oh, my God, which is like the smartest thing she's ever said. Uh, but there she is uh, reacting to the fact that Joe Biden follows her, continuing the hero worship of the president, which is really healthy for our nation. I will say, uh, Chrissy Teigen, um, you might say like, OK, Joe Biden, that's kind of weird, uh, kind of creepy that like she's he's following some model. Um, actually, she's really just more of a liberal hack than anything else. Um, I will say, though, she did have one shining moment. If you remember, this is from 2014 in Cosmopolitan. She was asked to respond to the question, who would you invite to your fantasy celebrity dinner? She said, Anthony Bourdain, Angelina Jolie, Suri Cruz, and Glenn Beck. True. That's what she said. Um, I think... I think I would say no to that one if I were Glenn, though Glenn would probably go because, you know, food. Um, all right. So also want to tell you a couple more things in the news today. We have um, the filibuster is being discussed in Congress. I want to stress this to you. And I must over and over again. Joe Manchin will not save you. He will not protect you. When they need his vote to be the 50th vote, Joe Manchin will not save you. He will sell you out and he will side with the Democrats every time. He's moderate until they need him. I hope everybody understands that. Here's another example of it. Right now, Chuck Schumer and, and Mitch McConnell are going back and forth. What are the rules of this Senate going to be? It's a 50-50 Senate. There's a power share going on. 
One of the things McConnell wants is don't get rid of the filibuster so you can ram everything through. Things like nine justices and extra states and all the crazy things. They need to get that filibuster done first. So the filibuster is the most basic thing. Remember, Joe Manchin went on television before Georgia and promised everyone in Georgia, you don't have to worry about voting for the Democrats because I'm here to protect you. I won't vote for those things. Uh, Here we go. Centrist Joe Manchin uh, talking about this uh, power struggle says, Look, Chuck Schumer has the right to do what he's doing. He has the right to use the filibuster to leverage in every any way he wants to. They're not going to grind this place to a halt. Gee, he's already come up with an excuse. I'm not for the filibuster, but if they grind this place to a halt, obviously Chuck's got to do what he's got to do. And I've got his back. It's coming. Joe Manchin will not protect you. Please understand that. I think most of you do, but there's so many idiots uh, out there who don't. Um, Pelosi is going ahead with the Trump impeachment trial. Um, Biden is trying to say unity, unity, unity. This is not how you unity. Uh, We're really going immediately into a uh, very, very divisive uh, Senate trial. They're going to try it anyway. Probably it looks like Chuck Schumer's on board. That's coming your way soon. Uh, Janet Yellen is one of the uh, unity candidates uh, that Joe Biden has stuck in there um, in Treasury. And uh, she is very concerned about cryptocurrencies. Now, of course, cryptocurrencies are one of the things that provide people freedom outside of a Uh, a state that is taking control of their lives. So, of course, the left doesn't like them. Um, They were down significantly today. She says cryptocurrencies are a particular concern. I think many are used, at least in the transaction sense, mainly for illicit financing. It's a great view um, from like 2012 of cryptocurrencies. Uh, So she's got that one nailed uh, only eight years late. And Portland uh, is on fire yet again. Um, Shockingly, I know you're going to be stunned to hear this. uh, Democrats not all that concerned about the violence, even when it's hitting their own uh, DNC headquarters in Portland. Uh, Antifa is saying now they're not excited about uh, Joe Biden. They want more. Of course they do. Obviously, this was a uh, a marriage of convenience between the left and Antifa. Antifa is always going to be breaking windows. The question is, do, do the regular hardcore liberals who supported all this nonsense in the summer, do they jump back on board when Biden is president? My hope is it was really, really shallow back in the summer, and I expect it was. Uh, but we'll see as, uh, as, as these protests are not going to stop in places like Portland and Seattle. The mayors of those cities have told them we're not going to do jack. Every once in a while, they talk, come out and talk tough, but they do nothing. When's the last time you went five miles an hour over the speed limit and didn't get pulled over? Doesn't happen very often to most people. These guys are breaking doors. They're breaking down. They're ransacking businesses. They're ransacking uh, uh, property. And no police around. I thought they told us the opposite when the Capitol thing was going on, that only the white protesters that are conservative don't have any police around. Yet again, we see Antifa breaking windows with absolutely no consequences. It is absolutely unbelievable. Back in a second. Thanks for hanging out for the whole show. Uh, You've reached almost the end of it, and people who do that are in the Cool Kids Club. I appreciate you hanging out here and doing that. Uh, Please click like. I mean, if you spent this much time, uh, click like on this video, share the video, uh, maybe uh, throw us a review if you happen to be on podcast. Uh, Something quick like, uh, it's great, whatever. You can always do that, and we really appreciate it. Uh, Helps us, I don't know. You know, I honestly, I don't know what the hell it does. Every podcast person says this. I don't know that it does anything, frankly. I don't know that it helps at all. I don't know. I do like that you do it. I like to see your comments. We like to read them at the end of the show sometimes. But honestly, I have no friggin' idea if, what, if it does anything for the show. 
What do you mean? I don't know if it helps. They say it helps, but I don't know. I mean, show seems to be doing pretty well, so maybe you should keep reviewing it. I appreciate it. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars, though. You should know that going in. And we should tell you, and I have this um, historic pen right here. It's a Nancy Pelosi sucks pen. You cannot buy these things anywhere. Uh, because we, we ran out of pens. Uh, eventually, we'll get them restocked. But I will say, in the meantime, we do have the Nancy Pelosi Sucks mug. It is available now. It is incredibly classy. I will say, if you put this thing on your desk, uh, no one's going to have any idea uh, that you're saying Nancy Pelosi sucks, except maybe for Nancy Pelosi. She might know. There might, she might get a, a cool chill as she get, walks through her 45,000-square-foot home uh, somewhere in California. Uh, but Nancy Pelosi Sucks mugs are available. Uh, what better way to celebrate the second impeachment than saying Nancy Pelosi sucks? We'll see you tomorrow.